Good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Cornergas Fan Corner's Jackass Cast. We have another amazing guest for you today, and he isn't exactly linked to Cornergas per se, but if you've read my webpage, you know that uh, of occasion I like to go off topic a little bit so I can bring in other aspects, although they may be loosely related to corner gas and that's where my guest comes in today uh, he's mr liam mckinnon who runs a fan site for the canadian band bare naked ladies which i'm sure you've heard of his website is getbarenaked.net he through that and through years of being a fan of bare naked ladies he's been quite involved with the guys and these days, he is quite often known to perform with Bare Naked Ladies' ex-frontman Stephen Page, who has since gone on to have a solo career and has created the Stephen Page Trio for touring purposes, which consists of himself, obviously, uh, Mr. Kevin Fox on cello, who you may have read about on my site as well. He's come up a few times. And the one and only Mr. Craig Northey, of odds and not a lot going on fame now liam often goes on tour with them and, and helps out and he also plays on the cajon which is something we'll come up a bit later on in the interview it's been it was it's a fantastic um interview so much fun mainly because we've got so much in common the two of us i've thought that a lot we've come across each other from time to time when i've been hanging around like a vast limpet trying to talk to Craig and Kevin and Liam just happens to be in the same room um, and at gigs and things and as Liam mentioned to me in an email as we have probably been in the same room many times before in the past years as I've been a fan of Bare Naked Ladies since they started in the early 90s and he has pretty much his whole life too so we were probably at the same gigs and uh, didn't know in, in, know that in the future, through serendipity, we would be here at this monumental podcast, this merging of minds. So uh, here comes the interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Liam, first off, tell me and our listeners what it is you do. Yeah, of course. So I, I encourage people to get bare naked. That's the name of the website. So... Uh... Get Bare Naked, a, a Bare Naked Ladies uh, fan site that's been going for a number of years and had different sort of uh, variants of names and incarnations before that. But yeah, essentially it's for, it's not just for Bare Naked Ladies really, it's the community around that. So, the, you know, they have had a long, successful, distinctive career and picked up lots of kind of side projects and friends and other other musical, you know, experiences along the way. So it's a, it's a site that hopes to really connect people that have good taste in music that kind of emanates from, from Bare Naked Ladies, I guess. 
So, much like Corner Gas Fan Corner, it's a place for fans, new and old, to get together, look at the music that they love. Yeah, it, it can be. It's like, it's, there's an interesting dynamic with, with fans of a band, because there's obviously casual fans, and it's, it's really nice to see that like, progress into people that get really into it, and they come along to maybe multiple shows on a tour... And they uh, and they learn the back catalogue, and I've kind of seen that happen. I've done that myself, obviously, over the years. Through the website, you see people forming relationships and friendships, and when when there's a gig on, people meet up that you know they met online and stuff. It's really cool. So, were Bare Naked Ladies the first band that you really got into when you were a kid? <laughs> Uh, they were, yeah, to answer your question. Uh, my first, I was always into music and I was a drummer um, from the age of seven. Um, but they were the first band that I really got into. The first time I actually really started paying attention to, you know, how songs are put together and, and lyrics and stuff like that. So not, not just a, a good catchy tune on the radio. The first band that I really invested in and the first band I saw live, which obviously set the bar pretty high in terms of a, <laughs> a live performance. But I was into... So, so I got into BNL when I was 10 years old. That was when One Week came out, which I think was the gateway for a lot of people, really, especially in the UK, because that song was massive everywhere. Heard it on the radio a lot, decided to, as a 10-year-old, do a bit of digging and spend my you know small amount of pocket money on, on the single and then eventually the album Stunt, which was the first CD I ever bought with my own money. Yeah. <laughs> So and it grew from there really, and I, I suppose other stuff that I was into at the time would have been you know char. I was really into Shania Twain, which is an odd thing for a ten-year-old. I think I think I fancied her. I think that's what that was. <laughs> well, who didn't? I mean, it must have been those belly tops. I think that did it. And plus, mm. she's Canadian, of course, which may have something to do with it. She is Canadian. She's the same age as my mum, I think. So when I look back on you know really having the hots for her as a ten-year-old, I feel a bit weird about it now. Hey, yeah. So moving on swiftly. Uh, what was your uh, first live BNL experience? It were it would have been the one after. So Maroon uh, was the latest release at the time. So I saw them in two thousand and one. So I was twelve at the time. My first ever live ex- live gig experience. It was a tour where they all decided for whatever reason to wear matching colour shirts. I don't know if you remember that or have seen photos. <laughs> I do remember, the, and the, I think there's a lot of videos of that tour on YouTube if you go looking for them. I mean, the first time that I ever saw them was at the oh, Wedgwood Rooms in Portsmouth, which is where we first met. Um, and I think that was the last place I saw them play as well, which would have been on the stunt tour. And it was a bit odd because they did the Wedgwood Rooms, and I'm pretty sure next day was Wembley Arena. Bit of a step up. <laughs> There's a step up there, isn't there? Yeah, oh, nothing against the Wedgwood Rooms, of course, but yeah, that's a big, uh, <laughs> that's a big gig, Wembley Arena. So yeah, I mean that was that was my first ever gig, and uh, like I say, I mean the, I mean how much higher can you set the bar? I went there and I was transfixed from the word go, and and actually um, Stephen Duffy uh, with the Lilac Time, who I've since met, um, was the support act for that tour, um, which was amazing. I think probably underappreciated on my part at the time because I was just so excited to see uh, BNL. But yeah, they did the, an amazing show with their matching orange uh, shirts. <laughs> and uh, by that point, already invested in all of the back catalogs. So I knew all of the tunes and uh, they did the bare naked rap at the end of the show, which was, you know, blew my mind. I, I, you know, I expected at that point, I'll go to a show, I'll see some songs being played and it will be, and it'll be good. 
and the experience that I had, the whole thing was just so memorable, so overwhelming. For a 12-year-old at times, like, that's how you do it. Like, that is a live show. <laughs> so I remember when I first got into Bare Naked Ladies, a friend of mine bought a tape of their first album, Gordon, back from a holiday in Toronto, I think around 1991, 92. And obviously they were huge over there and we hadn't really heard of them here. And I had to pretend I didn't like them when he played them in his mum's 2CV that we used to tool around in, picking up the ladies in such a sexy car, yeah. <laughs> and um, it, I I used to think that Stephen actually sounded like George Michael. Uh, yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> and um, he had, my friend was mad keen on them, and he got all the tapes he could possibly get, because they had a few indie tapes before mm. then. There was the yellow tape, and Buck Naked, I believe. Um, and I swear I have got that tape somewhere. Buck Naked is probably... I remember right. borrowing okay. it and never giving it back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure it's in my mum's <laughs> loft somewhere. So let me tell you something. If that is the case, and I'm sure that your instinct is to hang on to that because it's an amazing piece of memorabilia, but they, if you, if you were to sell Buck Naked, I read an article just this week because um, it ranked on some sort of chart of the, the most lucrative uh, cassette tapes. And it, I think it, the last time it sold on eBay was for $500. So, you know, if you ever find yourself needing $500, then there we go. Do you have any cool BNL memorabilia? Yeah, I do. I, ha- I, I have everything on CD. I have a couple of tapes and, and now records as well, because but records from this uh, this. Uh, time because records have come back obviously and they're huge and so I start collecting them too but yeah I've got for a long time in my parents house you know stacks of B&L stuff uh, um, and now they got it got to a point where they're like you're an adult you can take this stuff it's kind of taken up a lot of space now so you can have it back we don't have a need for it yeah I have uh, cu- cupboards of uh, and also stuff from so it, it's mostly actually from when I was that young kid and getting my hands on anything that I could because I was so so into it so I would buy and at the time you could go into HMV and buy a single um 3.99 and it would be you know whatever the it's all been done single that had b-sides on it and that I'd never heard before so that was why I'd collect them because I was like well I've not heard that version of that song and I and I feel like I need to (laughs) another thing I have is a 12 inch EP I think with a big it's got a big sandwich on the front oh so is that bare naked lunch I think they ended up calling that and it's uh it's essentially, if I'm thinking of the right thing, it's the UK version of the yellow tape. So I think it's the same track listing. And yeah, the front cover is a big sum. So it's like, I don't know, is it Yoko Ono, Million Dollars, uh, and a couple of others that escape me. But yeah, I, I, I have the same thing. I have it on CD, yeah. So what else did you listen to back in those formative days? I think, if I'm honest, the, the rest of my musical taste at that point would have been pretty naff. I uh BNL would have stand out so I think everything else was I I remember being into like I bought a, an album by Len if you and they did a song called Still My Sunshine which was like it's summer hits or whatever and Shania Twain like I say it it didn't take me long actually via these sort of BNL sites and what have you to get connected to bands like Gusta um and Ben Folds uh Jason Plum um, and all these kind of people that are, are friends of BNL, and that's when I think my music taste became 
I still I listen I listen to that stuff still now. So that was like my that set the scene really for what I was into and what I knew I liked and the kind of pop sensibilities, but the kind of nerdy rock. You know, ben Folds is pr- pretty much nerd rock. I think he epitomizes that. <laughs> so I think yeah, by the time I was what fourteen, fifteen, I was listening pretty much exclusively to North American bands that I would go into school and everyone would just shrug their shoulders because they were listening to, you know, whatever else. Green Day is stuff that was North American, but cool. <laughs> so Green, Green Day or whoever else. And uh, I think as well, when you're a 10 year old, 12 year old, whatever I was, um, there are things that come and go and there are phases that you go through and you then you go through teenage years and what have you. And the two things that have been constant since I was that age is is really enjoying the the music especially Ben Naked Ladies but also uh, and Newcastle United <laughs> but I can I can tell you now that one of those has brought me a lot more joy than the other <laughs> it doesn't take much to figure out which <laughs> so when did you first meet BNL it was a couple of years after that so actually the next tour which would have been 2004 and they were touring on the back of everything to everyone uh so they came over and uh I think the first gig on that tour was in Bristol which is where funny enough I this is where I am now I live in Bristol now I didn't at the time and um prior to that I'd been the most amazing story that I still think I have about the band is that I'd been as a as a kid you know shortly after seeing them for the first time I'd I'd written to uh, Kevin Kevin Hearn and it's it was I guess I can't remember exactly what I said but it would have been a typical fan letter you know hi I'm 12 I really like your music <laughs> Thank, thank you for everything that you do and uh, you know I hope I get to see you again soon and I hope I get to meet you one day and I sent it off or my, probably my parents sent it off I don't know we we had some post at the home uh, at our home maybe three four weeks later and it was addressed it had a Toronto uh, stamp on the front I was like oh, okay this is interesting opened it up and it was a letter back from Kevin so he'd written back to me and pretty quickly as well and he just said you know again very polite and thanks for writing to me. I really, I really like that you're into our music and I hope we get to see you again soon. And it said, I think the, the last sentence was, um, treat yourself to a pointy slice of pizza from Kev. <laughs> and I, I think I still, well, I know I, I still have that talking of memorabilia that you keep. I've definitely kept that s- somewhere. And, um, so when I, when I first met them, what really, really took me aback was that it was a great show. Uh, I stuck around afterwards cause I noticed that I wasn't really into that scene of like, oh, there's a let's wait by the tour bus, but I noticed it's what people were doing. Um, so I thought, well, I'll stay because something's going on. <laughs> and um, and sure enough, the band came out and were very gracious, as they always are, with their time and their, you know, accommodating photos and, and, uh, and autographs and stuff. And Kev came up to me and said, you must be Liam. And I sort of, I, what? I said, yeah, well, I am. Yes, that you're right. Um, hi. Uh, and he recognised me from uh, having never met him before, but obviously from the description that I'd given in my very first letter, he was like, well, this is a young kid and the, there's not many of them, I suppose, at this show. It's most it's mostly adults. And so this must be Liam. And took me to one side and had a photo and then went onto the tour bus and got out his latest uh, solo CD, which at the time was uh, a disc called uh, Nightlight, took it out and said, do you have this? And I said, oh no, I've not been able to get hold of it on import or whatever. And he gave it to me, signed it in front of me and said, I hope we see you again soon. 
and like that as a as at such a young age having essentially your musical hero and this band that you're really into for them to come up to you and start a conversation when you're nervous and weird and uh, hormonal like whatever it really really stuck with me and I think that that I already knew that I lo- I loved the live show and I loved the, the music they were putting out but actually having that connection where Kevin took the time to a remember that I'd written to him and B make a real effort to start a conversation really meant a lot to me at the time so that's when I first met them obviously the rest of the band were amazing as well it's the first time I met Stephen um, and, and all of the guys were just were just great really really cool guys was Kevin your favourite then or was that too controversial I don't think I think based on what I've told you there about that interaction with Kevin it was pretty clear that he was my favourite Ben Naked Lady at the time because you know they were like I say they're all amazing but for him to have that real personal touch and to know who I was it felt special actually he's just a great guy like I know I know now in retrospect he that's how he is like he does that with lots of people he's so gracious I, I think you know Kevin and Tyler I looked up to Tyler a lot because I was a drummer and so I would watch him. I'd get when I was at the gigs. I would pay particular attention to how he played and and his technique and so on. Not that I could ever emulate it, but I was certainly interested in that. So you played drums from the age of seven, you say? That's right. Yeah. Did Tyler become your drumming hero, or what? What made yeah, you start from, playing drums? I suppose. Yeah, I think as a seven-year-old, it, I don't know. It was probably a case of I knew I wanted to play an instrument. I thought drums were cool. I still think they're cool. Didn't make me cool, but I thought drums, playing drums was cool. So <laughs> I joined um, I joined the school orchestra at the time, which was, you know, they would do lovely versions of All Things Bright and Beautiful or whatever. And I'd just be there putting like this really <laughs> unnecessary drum beat into the background of it and probably ruining the song, but I was having a good time. And um, so, yeah, Tyler became an inspiration in that sense because he w- that was what I was listening to at the time. I used to listen to Phil Collins as well, which is odd, I suppose, for a seven or eight year old and he was a drummer and that yeah. was the start <laughs> I'd listen to I'd listen and pay attention to what Tyler was doing and how he would serve the song has he given you any advice since we talk sometimes we talk equipment and we get drum nerdy I think the best advice that Tyler's ever given me is about my partner Sophie he's like hold on to Sophie <laughs> that's the best advice he's ever given me fantastic <laughs> man knows what he's talking about obviously. yeah he certainly does yeah because drums is, is, especially at such a young age, it is an odd one to get into, I think. It's, um, be, being a, a guitarist like every other person on the planet and trying <laughs> to get into bands, it's always drummers that are missing. Drummers and bass players. Bass, bass players are a bit, you know, you can you can find them hiding in corners in pubs sometimes. That's right. Drum, drummers, <laughs> never. Uh, the rare commodity. It definitely became my outlet because I was never, I was always quite a quiet kid and going into secondary school and liking music that no one else had ever really heard of and stuff it was sort of my thing so I'd be this quiet I don't think I was a nerd but I was a shy kid and then the drums became my uh, outlet that was how I would express you know I joined school bands even if I didn't really if I wasn't into the to the music or if it wasn't really my style I just joined them anyway because like jazz bands or samba bands or whatever it would end up being just because I wanted to drum and hit stuff and have a good time did you start your own band at all i had a couple of bands throughout school yeah we had year 11 into sixth form i had about we called ourselves 20 minute drive uh, <laughs> for a reason that i 
don't know. <laughs> it escapes me. It doesn't make any sense. I think we wanted a name with a number in it because Maroon 5 were really big at the time. So, oh, they've got they've got a number, so we have to have a number too. Actually, I look back on that and think recording music was one of the most fun experiences. Like, we went into a studio um, near Cheltenham, where, I, where I'm from, and we recorded a couple of EPs. And they're probably terrible, but it was amazing just to see all, how that's put together and have that experience of, you know, working with two two of my good friends at the time and making music. I loved it. But that's, that's what it's all about, is, is, is just enjoying it. And the amount of times I've been to jam sessions, which is predominantly where I get to play now, you get people that, that want to play but don't think they're any good. And a good jam, whoever's running it, will push them up there and say, it doesn't matter, just yeah. play. Enjoy just have it. fun, yeah, express yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. you, you play you play uh, guitar, right? You yeah, play. I do. I've been playing since I was 10. I was predominantly into the blues, mainly because I started with the Blues Brothers. That was my first band, the Blues Brothers tribute band. <laughs> uh, my guitar teacher brought in a Jeff Healy tape. So you see, there's a Canadian link. In mm-hmm. And I was just, well, what's this? This is like, so what I'd heard of the blues by the Blues Brothers was sort of, John Lee Hooker and maybe Robert Johnson, Sweet Home Chicago, really old stuff. And I liked it. But when I heard the the rock edge kick in, mm. wow, that's amazing. That was that was me done then. I was, I was all over. And I, it made me want to play more. And then from Jeff Healy, you sort of graduate onto other players. And it wasn't easy back then because there was no internet. And How did you speak to people? You had to I do know. face-to-face? We had... We had cans with long bits of string that, that went the length of the country i see so that was that so that's why <laughs> where internet comes from because it's like this weaving of, of bits of string made a net i see clever um, and pigeons too pigeons were involved though pigeons were very popular yes yeah especially up north and but uh, yes it was very difficult times especially buying albums you had to go to london to go to virgin megastore which doesn't exist anymore <laughs> go to their their little some dingy corner there and find tapes and stuff that's where i found stevie ray vaughan is my hero i never looked back really i was i was practicing four or five hours a day um not so much anymore it was good times and yeah just i just played loads of jams no end of jams and it's a good place to to learn as well because you learn from other people and you don't have to absolutely yeah it's a free guitar lesson (laughs) (laughs) It's just nice to have that hobby, and it's followed me through all my life. And I did ask when I went to Vancouver last September. I asked Craig if I could jam with the, with the guys, and uh, he didn't get my email till two hours after I left the gig. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> oh, could have done. I said, oh, oh well, <laughs> never mind. So I, I'd, I'd imagine you've met them quite a lot since then. Do they, do they like call you up and say, "Well, you you come in"? Are you, are <laughs> I suppose every the UK tours that they did were relatively infrequent, so it would be whenever there's there's a new album. So every two or three years they would tour, and then obviously I'd be fifteen, and then eighteen, and then twenty, and whatever. And I had a couple of really cool things when I was a teenager. So they had me up on drums um, in a sound check at yeah. one point because they you know they got to know that I was a drummer, and they're so um they've always been amazing with like they pull people up on stage there's stuff all over youtube where they've got you know young people up or fans that they know play an instrument and they did this thing on it i think the stunts or they would get people up and play the kinks you really got me 
<laughs> and it didn't really matter if the person could play guitar or not because they'd kind of do it for them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a yeah Southampton in 2007 and they had me up and uh, I played uh, Alcohol with the oh, full band. And so Tyler, yeah, it's a great tune. Tyler, uh, I wasn't old, ironically, I wasn't old enough to drink alcohol at the time, but I liked the song. So <laughs> Tyler um, steps aside and, and actually one of the, the greatest things about that is Tiny, who is the drum tech for the band. So Tyler's tech, um, I didn't know he was doing this, but he came up to me afterwards and handed me the sticks that I'd played with and said, well, you keep these, these are yours now, which was yeah. cool. And he also handed me a USB stick. So they'd recorded the whole thing. So oh, that's something that I really cherish. I kind of listen back and I go, oh, I missed a, I missed a beat or I missed a symbol, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, it was amazing. It was so, so cool. And, like, you know, I was still at school at the time and I went in the next day. I was like, you never guess what I did. And like three people cared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was amazing. And so, you know, after that, I, you know, different different tours that they came over and did and I got more and more involved or, you know, hung, hung out with them or whatever. And it was and when they come over here, they I suppose they have um, a cult following, you would call it now, really. And even at the time of their biggest success in the US, they would come here and put, well, they do Wembley Arena, which was a big gig, but they would do the Wedgwood Rooms or the O2 Academies. Back then they were the Carling Academies. Yeah. And so you'd always, you, but you always get, even to this point now, you get 2,000 people in the room over here to go and see BNL because the reputation of that live show lineup changes whatever album is the latest it's always a great show and people know that and i i think the the element of improvisation is quite unique on the the live shows i mean one of my favorite bnl memories is we went to see it was the born on the pirate ship tour forum in london i think it was kevin's first tour that one that um, sounds about the right time frame yeah i know they don't like people chucking um craft dinner or certainly it was starting to become a bit of a thing, a bit signed up. Please do not throw things, put it in the bins outside for homeless people, whatever. That's it. But my friend decided he'd throw a box of Jaffa cakes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't ask me why, but it, it, it did the trick because it landed right at Stephen's feet and they made up the Jaffa cake song. Okay. <laughs> I have been looking everywhere to see if anyone had a bootleg of that gig. I've yet to find one, but it, I'm sure there'd be one out there somewhere. I can put a call out for you. Let's try and find that. I'm sure it yeah. exists. Oh, it was so funny. And it, um, Tyler started it off, I think, doing uh, was Mr. Loverman, but he said, Mr. Jaffa Man. <laughs> 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 and they were all eating these Jaffa cakes on the way. It was brilliant. So good. But I think that, again, makes makes them unique. There's not many people out there doing it because there's an element of comedy as well. They're all funny guys. And they put themselves out there every night because they've got no idea what they're about to sing or or rap about and i always i began to because i think the first time i saw them i was like oh this must be rehearsed like mm. this is just something that they do but then you begin to realize actually they've got no idea what they're that i say they've got no idea what they do and that sounds awful but yeah. they it's spontaneous it's in the moment and the music and the lyrics are both completely in sync with each other which makes it seem like a fully rehearsed song but you yeah. realize that they're talking nonsense a lot of the time so it's, <laughs> it's, an, it's an amazing ability to do it they're, they're all very good at it actually you know it's um Stephen and Ed would would trade off one another doing that doing the lyrics but you pay attention to what Ty uh, Jim and Kev are doing in the background it's like they're making a really good song like 
sometimes I've come away from B&L gigs and what I can remember is the tune of the ad lib that it's a throwaway thing in the moment but you're like that's, that's a really catchy tune yeah does the improvised stuff does that ever affect the set list you know does do they change what they all right we won't do that song now we're doing <laughs> I think it can I think if it goes on for long enough then they maybe have to sacrifice a song or something but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah because they're due back any second aren't they? they're coming back in uh, April so they have a big show at the uh, Royal Albert Hall yeah, that should be good. Uh, that's a that's one of my favourite venues. But Albert Hall, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Wait, is, is it, if it's called the Empire anymore. <laughs> so it's old. probably the O2. So I think it actually, I think it's the O2, isn't it? The O2 Empire. Because yeah. O2 own everything. I'm trying to think whether I saw them there, actually. I probably did. I saw everybody there in my early 20s. I was just li- practically lived in the place. So uh, when you got the site going, how, how long do you think, all told, have you, has it been up now? It's uh, very first in, 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 inclination. Yeah, that's a good good question. I think it's probably been up for about a decade now. There was a site called BNL UK, which existed from you know 2001, probably when they were really at their peak and the internet was kind of taken off and what have you yeah. before social media. So there were forums and what have you, and I was I was part of them. They began to die down not because of the band's popularity but because the people that did them sort of you know had kids and lives and stuff to take care of so <laughs> I, I remember it, that sort of time coinciding with me starting a career in in marketing I went to uni and I studied journalism and media studies and so on I was like well you know if that doesn't exist anymore I know there's still an appetite for it and I think I can facilitate it I think I can host that stuff so that also coincided 2009-ish time coincided with social media really becoming a big thing so relaunching that site but then having you know a Twitter and a Facebook to support it as well which really helped to sort of nurture that community of of music lovers as well so yeah over over a decade now really I really need to do something with the site because it looks like it was made in 2009 and it looks that way so I need to kind of get it up to date a little bit broke yeah that's true we have uh, there's there's a newsletter and there yeah there are the social sites I think that's where most of the chat goes on really is the there's Facebook groups and pages and what have you yeah I've, I follow the lot and I go on the site quite regular what interests me there is that you, there were no other other than the, the original site that mm. came to a, a slow end there weren't any other fan sites for them in terms of actual websites there was a big big one called barenaked.net and again, I think it was probably around 2006, seven that it began to slow down just because I didn't actually know the guys that ran that, but I think it was probably, you know, families and so on. So it, yeah. it slowed down a bit. Um, there's always been lots of BNL fan sites. It's just whether or not they're, you know, up to date or what have you. So I was keen to make one that I, I always approach it. It was like, what would I want to see? You know, what info do I want to get? And yeah. what kind of conversations do I want to have about the band? So it was never... I've never intended for it to be, you know, gossip or it's just a place to meet other people and discuss yeah. gigs and arrange meetups and so on. So. Yeah, it's the same with me because with Corner Gas, I only discovered it by accident. My site's been up close to three years, but there wasn't any fan sites at all. There was somebody doing uh, podcasts, but there was there wasn't anything else, and I couldn't understand that. It didn't make sense. Is it's supposed to be in the biggest show Canada's ever had? So why wouldn't there be one? Yeah, why is then? Yeah, I thought that's the job for me. There we go. <laughs> so uh, yeah, serendipity—it all—it all comes together. And 
are there anybody else out there doing it now as well as yourself yeah there's a couple uh, particularly on social media there are accounts that kind of follow the tours and uh, and report back and there's blogs and i think probably in the depths of the internet that i don't look at so like reddit and tumblr and all that stuff where stuff gets a bit weird i think there are bml <laughs> pages <laughs> um but yeah there's certainly you know they still go out and play to they're on a tour at the minute with hootie and the blowfish so they yeah. are in front they're in front of twenty thousand people every night so there's lots and lots of conversation that happens and lots of pages and accounts that really talk about bnl so did was there a point where you saw your site pick up and suddenly take off and can you sort of pinpoint the moment that that or why that happened i think social media is the big reason when you can introduce a facebook page and a a twitter account it feels more obviously the nature of it is more instant you can do things so when they would tour over here instead of taking a week to collect my thoughts and put something in the blog post or a review I would be at the gig and I'd come out and I go that was amazing and here are some photos here are some videos you know have all my thoughts here (laughs) and so would other people and I'd share that and so I think that was a big catalyst for so many things I like to do things now where I can you know we go live on Facebook or I've done interviews with the band on a number of occasions where we can do something that's a bit different from the sit down Q&A we've done quizzes and we've done silly things yeah we've done silly things with like table tennis bats and like (laughs) buzzers and weird stuff whatever I can get my hands on really so and the great thing about that is that I could get them to sit down and read the dictionary and it would be entertaining it's just that's their character (laughs) that's their you know personalities really shine through and everything that they do so it's um, it's really cool to be able to to share that stuff they yeah. make it amazing every time I'm trying to think of the one i particularly liked i think you're having them guess the words they had a word on, on the head that's right and guess. the most amazing the most hilarious thing about that is jim's round because jim bless him i don't know that he he went first in in fairness to him he went first so i'm not sure that he latched onto the concept of the game immediately so he's <laughs> he's kind of sat there holding this thing up just looking at everyone quite blankly and it's really funny <laughs> We got it all on camera. Was it easy to sort of make those connections? Although, I suppose, because they knew you from backstage and what have you and everything else had gone, was it easy to, to get them to do that or arrange those recordings? And Relatively. I mean, I suppose if you look, in some ways, I do free marketing for them, don't I? Because they yeah. <laughs> they know there's a captive and, and ready audience for them there. So whatever they do is going to be viewed by a bunch of people that really like their band. So that's cool. But also, I think, you know, because I think with sit down interviews and email interviews, they, there's a tendency for people to ask the same question over and over. So how did you get your name and yeah. that kind of thing? If I, you know, hit them up and say, hey, I've got this idea. and I'm sure it will it'll be a bit nuts, but let's make it work. And then they're always very accommodating of that, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, I, I think, again, uh, I don't like to say like this, but like Canadians in general, Certainly, I find with the Corner Gas guys, and everyone has been so helpful and yeah. willing to join in and give their time. It's just so nice. It's like this massive sort of cultural stereotype that does fit. I don't think I've met an unpleasant one yet. No, right. Canadians are nice people. That's one stereotype I can get on board with. I think my site took off when I did my interview with Craig. That was my yep. first thing. When you, when, well, when we first met very briefly at the Wedgwood 2017. Yeah, I forget how I got in contact with him, but he was like, "Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's let's get it all sorted out." And you all were very very busy, and he spent 
best part of an hour. I only intended to be like 10, 15 minutes, and we were in there for an hour. Stephen and Kevin and yourself were sort of nobody he hadn't eaten i didn't know that until we finished it's like oh my god and then when i put that up on my site all of a sudden it just went Phew. Mm-hmm. that's when things started to pick up and i got to start to talk to other people and nice. uh, i did a thing about kevin kevin fox as well but i keep forgetting that I'm, there's people listening <laughs> they went kevin who and i'll, I'll drop that in later too <laughs> And uh, yeah, it really took off from there, and so I, I sort of owe it to Craig a bit. So um... I remember that in the Wedgwood rooms, and he he's vegan anyway, so he struggles with finding stuff to eat. Oh. <laughs> import, I don't think there was much imports from it. Definitely wasn't an issue. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> oh, that looks, that's a pretty can. That's, that's a nice color can. Color. Yeah. I... <laughs> Did you? That's that's the thing I found in Canada as well. I went. All their little micro breweries. Oh yeah. Yeah, I went. I went to one um, to do an interview, and uh, the lady brought out. She said, "Oh, do you want to see the beer list?" Yeah, and I expect in half a dozen. It was literally a map yeah. brought out. It was. It was about. It kept unfolding everywhere, and and uh, the guy I was with, he kept saying, "Well, what do you like? Do you like light? Do you like?" Beer? I, I drink Budweiser. I didn't know such things as IPA existed, really. I said to the woman, stick a pin in it and just bring me one. <laughs> she bought this thing that looked like orange juice. Yeah. And I said, oh, what's in that? She said, oh, it's got coriander. and Coriander? Yeah, in a drink. And it was so nice. It was amazing. Then she bought me one called Kung Fu Panda. Didn't I'd literally been off the plane for about an hour. It was 8%. The last previous to that was about six and a half or something. And yeah, then, that's going to knock your socks off. That. <laughs> and then the mount, then the mountain air hit me. It, it was an interesting trip home. We're back to the hotel. <laughs> I'm sure. That's the best way. That's the best way to discover beer is have it and then realise it's eight percent afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely. But do you think I'll be able to find that if I went to that same bar again? I won't remember which one. It was the entire of north america actually is like every place we went it was like one of the first things i did was checked out you know what's local to here what can i have what can i try yeah what was your favorite what did you find oh man uh there was a nice one in uh, i had in new york city it was called sub sublimated or subliminated i can't quite remember i've got an app you know the app and tap so you track everything yeah which is like the height of being nerdery and um (laughs) so it's it's all on there so i'd have to go back and have a check but that was the one amazing many amazing things about that tour but you know you get a rider so each place you go to there's a dressing room with stuff waiting for you in it and yeah i remember being asked if i had anything to add and being sheepish and polite i was like oh not really. maybe they could maybe a nice beer yeah. thinking one but there was a, you know most nights there's a case of like amazing ipas or pale yes. ales or what <laughs> it's like oh, uh-huh. fill your boots i ended the most of them ended up in my suitcase so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so did the rider get a little bit bigger when she figured it out oh okay oh, okay i can get i get a say in this <laughs> <laughs> how did the tour come about i suppose how did you get involved so if we go back to 2016 yeah so that you know at this point steven's been a, a solo artist for uh seven years i suppose and and hasn't come over to the uk in that whole time so there's a big uh, there's a lot of people on social media clamoring for him to come over and do something and he was actually coming over um on a holiday with his family i think he'd spent some time in france and then was coming over to london just you know for a few days relaxing and stuff and 
sent a tweet out quite innocently saying if I happened to turn up in Regent's Park and if I happened to have a guitar with me would anyone come and come and listen <laughs> and and it blew up and you know oh, wow. d- dozens hundreds of people were like yes this needs to happen we will be there <laughs> and so in putting that together he he reached out to me I just kind of stayed in touch on a fairly loose basis you know I was I was quite surprised by the message and he said I know you so I know you're a drummer I know you play cajon now so cajon is this wooden box that I sit on and make noise with mm-hmm. um if you want to bring it let's do a couple of tunes together no. so I'm sat and I receive this message and I look at uh, my partner Sophie and I'm like oh my god <laughs> uh, can we go to London at the weekend because I think it could be one of the best things I've ever done <laughs> and so yeah sure enough we turn up and there's a if I remember rightly he was kind of on social media saying you know someone find a good spot I'll be there in half an hour so I get I'm, I'm with a couple of friends I'm with Sophie and we go and sit under a tree Stephen turns up he's yeah. uh, someone has bought him a good uh, a chap called Alistair brings his guitar and gives it to Stephen and he just starts playing it's all been done and Jane and a new show and all of these tunes that everyone loves <laughs> and I'm sat there with this box next to me thinking it's totally co- like I'm having such a good time it's totally cool if he's forgotten I don't yeah, mind yeah. I'm here this is amazing this is the first time any of us have seen Stephen since he went solo so yeah. what a day it was a be- it was a sunny day it was a weekend you know and then he looks at me and calls me up and we end up doing probably eight or nine tunes together and yeah. some of my favorite you know Ben Aker Lady songs we do Upside Down and we do Brian Wilson and and Call and Answer and it went really well. I think if that ended up, as fate would have it, being like the dress rehearsal for what was about to come in the following years. So I think I, well, I clearly I passed the test, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. But it was such an unexpected and surreal and amazing thing to happen. And it's still something that I look back on and think that was such a catalyst now for being able to tour with, with Stephen, uh, what is it, six times now? So five, six tours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that that is that is the dream come true, and it's all come from just a lifetime of support, I suppose, and it shows how much they appreciate what you do. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's it's really nice, and it's lovely that Stephen remembered me, and we'd we'd had back and forths on on Twitter and so on, and shared jokes and talked about stuff. And I was what I was, you know, really championing. And I was one of the people tweeting and saying, "Like, you gotta come over here. If you come over, there's an audience." Yeah. And I think there was some hesitation about, you know, what would what would happen if I came over? And the the booking agent that he has was I know was working on stuff, but they were trying to get the timing right and so on. And and I think obviously was proved in 2017 when they booked that tour where I met you and we did Portsmouth and so on. It's like this is such, uh, you know, people are so excited to see you and to see your show and to see what you have to offer as a solo artist. I felt like that was a taster for the following year. Just to, I, I suppose testing the water maybe to see how because obviously the the last year's tour the venues were bigger yeah because uh, I, I came to Union um, Chapel yeah Union Chapel yeah. which is an amazing <laughs> venue and they filmed it as well didn't they they did yes yeah, yeah. so um it was oh it was fantastic but the only problem there was that your knees were caught behind the pews and you wanted to get up and have a bit of a dance but you felt a little bit like, <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> and you had to say a few prayers before the show started. Yeah, indeed. Yes, you had to cross yourself. And you said, yeah. <laughs> it was a good venue. It was different. We did a couple like that on that tour. So the one in Glasgow as well was, uh, I hope I say this correctly, Orem Mall, which I didn't know much about before, but you turn up and it's just like grand, amazing old building. And uh, 
destination venues i think was the term that uh, the Steelers manager manager used to uh, (laughs) promote that tour but yeah union chapel was a good was a good gig yes it was it was was phenomenal poured with rain i was i I didn't have a change of clothes me. i was very soggy (laughs) (laughs) i think you could be described as the fourth member of the trio now (laughs) i'll take that thank you (laughs) i mean I, i follow a few fans they follow what I do. We just all have, again, we all have similar tastes. But people like, like that, they, they all talk about you so fondly. I met him three times because there were three shows on that tour, Toronto, Victoria and Vancouver, where um, it wasn't a trio show. It was a Stephen and the Odds show, or Stephen yeah. and Odds, I should say. Yeah, Odds, and, yeah. um, and so Murray and Pat and, and Doug, and obviously Craig, who'd been there for the for the whole ride, getting to meet those guys and watch them play. I mean, I'd uh, I went on a BNL cruise um, oh. and had seen and had seen Odds and really liked them, and I'd got a couple of their CDs. But actually watching them play is they're a phenomenal band. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah. The the, the venue that was uh, we were in was pretty small, and that's one thing I couldn't answer. That I don't know how the first night. I, can't remember how many people there's only hundreds mm. i think this is these are legends surely it should be like uh, a three thousand seater or something like that very least and the, the stuff that they're creating and how the musicianship's just phenomenal but again perhaps it's a cultural thing that said that you know bigger bigger area to cover smaller venues on the way to many as possible but you, is that what you found touring? Perhaps you, how did you know how more idea of how the inner workings of that that concert route that they take? Yeah, I think the the routing uh, didn't make a lot of sense in terms of logistically getting around because even when they did the UK, they do like Glasgow, then come right back down, then go right back up the country again, yeah. and that's kind of it's manageable in the UK. But um, in Canada on this last tour, it was. Um, a hell of a ride we were in a van and i had no concept of how big ontario was as a province like i assumed that you could get around ontario fairly easily but we drove for 16 hours and we were still in ontario <laughs> it's a, it's an enormous enormous place and uh, you know half of that tour so i don't i think there were 20 or so shows and 10 of them were in ontario because it's yeah. just so vast um so but yeah you're right seeing that put together some of the venues we did we the venues sort of ranged anywhere between capacities of 300 all the way up to a a thousand plus and so some of the shows were very very intimate and you know you're completely eyeballing the front row because they're pretty much on your lap yeah and then and then some of the shows particularly the ones with odds where there was a you know a bigger stage setup we did vancouver um the ballroom there and it's oh, eight yeah. nine hundred people so it's a full-on rock show and there's a, a way more to do with lights and production and so on yeah. so i saw a good breadth of varied uh, shows in different settings and so on a really good insight into that world I, there's something I'd, I'd love to see more of uh, uh the country but there's so much to choose from and where do you go first like you say it's so it's so vast when it would on the corner gas side of things the the town that they filmed the show when i first went it on the map it's it's not far from vancouver i suppose it's <laughs> it's closest to regina but i asked somebody in all honesty oh how do i get there can i can i get a bus or something he said well you can get a bus then you need a donkey uh and then you might get a plane to that place turn left at the first <laughs> mountain you see and you might be there yeah, um, yeah. 
I'll give that a miss then. <laughs> yeah, I had absolutely no understanding of the scale of things when I was over there. there yeah. the, you know, I look from at the schedule that we have and it's like, okay, well, that drive is 10 hours. So, well, you can lap the UK in that time. So that's different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but uh, I, w- I will make it back and do a proper proper recce one day and go and see some other places. Can't just stay in there. I mean, I, one thing I, I just just come to mind. I seem to remember you did a lot of posts about Tim Hortons and, and uh, falling out of love with them. I, I got because <laughs> I, I they helped me to realise the error of my ways after <laughs> you know a dozen visits. There are better things in Canada than Tim Hortons. Sacrilege! <laughs> Don't publicly you know there'll be a hate mail. So when we were on a US tour last year, I got into coffee. For the first, I've gone 30 years without, I drink tea and I uh, multiple times a day, but I wasn't into coffee and I don't even really know what happened, but I got into coffee on the US tour. And so <laughs> by the time we're in Canada, I'm like, every time I see a Tim Hortons, I've got to go in. I, go, I have to go. But I, I started getting into their food as well. So I, and I would eat, um, they, they had like a chicken wrap. And so the other guys would take the mick out of me because they say, that's not what you get when you go to Tim Hortons. You have to get Tim bits which are these weird pieces of donut. That's the best way I can describe like really sickly sweet balls of sugar. Okay. Basically. And I've got a sweet tooth, but even for me, that was a bit much. So I'd get it. I'd go in, get my chicken wrap and my coffee, get back in the van and be ridiculed for the next three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went into one for a coffee, but you're right. I, I was the same. I drink coffee a lot, but over there, it's only since I came back this last trip that I drink coffee tea is gone now mm-hmm. and i get one of those big flasks like they, they all have over there that holds about six pints full of coffee <laughs> and that's me for the day but uh, tim hortons well, i wasn't overly excited about i think i'd i think i would make a parallel there with greg's i think that's yes, probably uh, the closest that yeah, i could because it's not it's not it's fine it's cheap it's fine you might see a fight that, you know. <laughs> yeah kicking out time yeah, yeah the, the last sausage roll's gone and yeah. there's two people want it i was always worried about poutines because mm-hmm. i thought a poutine was something they put under the bed during world war Two. right <laughs> <laughs> but uh turns out they're awesome very nice did you everything have... that yeah oh yeah oh yeah i had a vegan one as well because oh, yeah. we quite often dined we would find uh vegan spots across Canada because Craig is vegan and the tour manager Paul Forks is vegan and um, gluten-free too yeah. so that makes his life quite difficult so wherever we were able to find somewhere that could accommodate that we would so in Montreal I had poutine which I learned is the proper way of saying it apparently poutine, poutine. poutine. yes I was going Putin yeah right? I love like, Putin please. as in Vladimir yeah um, <laughs> but I had a vegan poutine and it was very, very nice. What I thought were cheese curds were probably tofu or something. It was, it was very tasty. But the one I had one in Toronto when I'd been to Canada before and it was just everything that's, it was a mess, but it was so good. It was gravy, cheese curds, chips, like meat, pulled pork, everything that I like in one dish. And yeah. uh, just to, cause I was quite health conscious. I had about seven beers to wash it down with. So it was a very nice evening. Yeah. <laughs> And then you forgot that you'd, you'd eaten it and you had another one. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's probably what's considered like a, a late night kebab over here. You would come out from a night out or, you know, wherever and have a, 
a grim, greasy kebab full of chili sauce, mayonnaise, and all that. And I think that's probably I, what I learned is I think that's how they see poutine. But I would order that as a main in a nice restaurant yeah. and think and think this is the best food I've ever eaten. So weird. <laughs> I I found that the first time I went over there, I was too scared to order anything like that because I did. It was all a bit of a mystery. I found that a lot of restaurants they didn't have any prices on or or um, things that are available mm-hmm. outside so you had to sort of go in and then I didn't like to sit down and then suddenly oh I don't like anything here and I'm off so I, I stuck to the restaurant in the hotel the whole time which was a complete mistake and it was called white spot which I thought was something that, that fish got when they were poorly not a good start to the holiday <laughs> I mean <it's>, <laughs> they sell poorly fish here <laughs> delicious yeah mm, yummy i can't wait back i've been looking for cheese curds over here mm-hmm. to, you need some sort of artisan cheese shop to, to buy them in i don't think you can get them in asda one thing i forgot to ask earlier and again slightly controversial i get a lot of people when when i talk to a bare naked lady you get your stephen era fans and then you get your post stephen and it and it, it seems to split the fans right down the middle where do you stand on that? Where do I stand? Yeah. Good question. Well, I was upset when that happened because it felt like there was a fear of the unknown, I suppose, at that point. It's like, how's this going to go? And as fans, what are we going to be able to listen to? What are we going to be able to enjoy? And I hope everyone's okay. And I hope that everyone can be friends. You like this idealistic uh, yeah. uh, hopes, really. But what has happened over the years and what's become apparent is that as fans of all of those guys, you get double the amount of music because they're both putting out albums and touring that are so good. There's st- everything that I'm listening to from BNL and from Stephen, I enjoy way more than anything else that's out there, which was always the case when they were together. Yeah. And and so you get you know visits from BNL, they come over and tour here, and you get to see their show, which is still excellent. And now that Stephen's touring the UK and has done that a couple of times, you see his show, and it's different and it's brilliant. The way I personally feel about that, I'm happy. I enjoy everything that I go and see. The Junos, when that happened, was amazing and emotional uh, and kind of weird. But, you know, the way I look at it is if if everyone in those bands and and collectives are are happy and making good music, then as uh, as a fan of, of everyone there, then I'm happy too. I think that's a diplomatic answer, but it's truly how I feel. I think it's really nice to see Stephen firing on all cylinders and touring and releasing music, doing his uh, theatrical projects and getting involved in that stuff. He's fulfilled, making great music. And then likewise, BNL are going on these big tours and making new albums, doing these collaborative projects with people like The Persuasions, keeping things interesting. It's, It's brilliant. The Persuasions album is fantastic. I really like it, yeah. I didn't know what to expect either because I didn't actually read it. I just uh, played it on Spotify or something like that and I didn't really look at the track list or anything. I just thought, play. It's so different versions of, I'm trying to think which one, I think One Week. That was really, I was like, oh. It took a bit of getting used to, I think, but I think it's probably my favourite of their most recent albums. Cool. It's... I think there was there were people, you know, when I look, I, I see reactions that come in and I think there are people that long for the day because undoubtedly they're amazing together and that chemistry that particularly as two frontmen, Stephen and Ed, 
um, had was undeniable. And at the Junos, that was very evident. You know, even yeah. after all that time, it was it was a special show and um, a great performance. Yeah. And really nice to see those guys back together. And but you know, the the line from all the parties involved is it was fun we enjoyed it and now we're going to carry on doing what we do because we love that and i'm that's cool <laughs> so, so you don't because of that that following week probably especially the next the next couple of days after that performance that's all that the internet was like they're back together they're going to tour they're going to do this they're going to do that and um the both of them were like, i saw ed and Stephen going sort of basically going calm down do you think it might come about do i think it uh yeah. I don't think so, personally. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think that everyone is happy doing what they're doing. And I think I would echo, you know, Stephen says in interviews quite regular because he gets that question directed at him, obviously, in, mo- in most interviews that he does. And I think he's really open to things like that, where he can celebrate a legacy or do a charity event or whatever it might be. But I think everyone's pretty content in what they're doing. So that's, yeah. um, that's really nice to hear. Yeah. It's only been... I think since I got into Odds and Craig, I, I didn't listen to them for long. Probably after Stephen left. I, I, there's no real reason for it. It just happened, you know. It's like old friends sort of disappear and then come back, you know. But it was when I started listening to Craig that I got, heard Stephen's solo stuff for the first time. It was more from listening to, to Craig that got back got me back on the, the BNL track, as it were. <laughs> um, so I have him to thank for that as well. And Stephen's music now is i think the storytelling is the most uh, impressive part i find especially on page one i think is my favorite of, of the the three albums so far well actually there, there are other recordings as well obviously but the kind of thing that drew you into bnl in the first place is what made their music stand out i think they're the magic of that band for a long time and this is in in a big way accredited to Stephen's songwriting is you don't realize what you're listening to for quite some time it takes a few listens to re- to realize actually there's something quite dark here, but they've dressed this up in a um, in a poppy and melodic way, and you go, hold on a minute, this is I'm learning stuff and I'm feeling things, and <laughs> it's weird, it's weird how it, and it's very powerful. And right up to to now with Stephen Solo stuff, he's such a great lyricist that you have to listen to the tracks a few times and you realize, oh, I listened to um, Feel Good Summer. This is a great example. This is off the latest album. And I got to play on that tune, which was a complete thrill because I love the song. Yeah. And it's peppy and it's poppy. And it kind of has this great beat. And then you realise it's about getting hit by a bus. And you're like, oh, my God, let me listen to this again <laughs> because I need to figure out what the what's happening in this in this narrative. And it's a song about struggle. And as, uh, you know, a lot of his tunes have that element to them. You know, there's a story there and it's, often it's dark or powerful and intense and that carried through a lot of the bnl stuff too so i've learned so much from them listening actually really paying attention to the story that the song is telling and you, you can even tell uh certainly in the early days as well you can say you, you can hear that's an ed song that's a steven song that's an ed and steven song that's definitely a cregan song <laughs> that's definitely that's one thing you can pick out that's a cregan song yeah there's there's a beat but I can't figure, even as a drummer, I cannot figure it out. That's a Cregan song. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting to, you can spot those things. I don't think that happens. Another thing that you don't find often with bands 
where they, they you know they have a collaborative sound where the storytelling's concerned certainly with BNL you, you can you can pick out the members that have had the largest part in the putting it together absolutely did you follow Craig and Kevin's work before you got into the trio I had seen Craig play I did, like I mentioned I've been on the cruise and I I think I missed the uh, Acid Wish stuff, which, um, if yeah. anyone listening is unfamiliar, is was an alter ego of Odds, a late night alter it. ego of Odds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I would have loved to have seen. But yeah, I'd, I'd listened to Odds a fair bit before and admired Craig's work and songwriting. So I love Good Weird Feeling mm-hmm. as an album. Um, Kevin, I, I, I knew his name and I, because he toured with BNL. Um, in the 90s with Sarah Harmer and oh. his name his name had cropped up on a few occasions I knew he was a friend of Stephen's Kevin is the first person that Stephen called when he went solo because he was getting booked for folk festivals and so on and so Kevin with his cello would come along be uh, that musical accompaniment so um I'd followed that and seen the clips on YouTube I was like this guy's cool and then yeah meeting him and he is cool he's so laid back that man is <laughs> he's laid back he is, but he's also one of the most dedicated and hardworking chaps I've ever met. He really? essentially, he yeah, he essentially becomes sort of musical director. I would say. I think I think it would be fair, and I think Stephen would agree with me that you know when you arrive at the venue, Stephen uh, Kevin unpacks everything and tunes everything and makes sure that everything's in its place. And he puts, he's not shy of putting his ideas forward in terms of different arrangements for tunes or mm. different harmonies and vocal parts. He's a very, very attentive guy that has an amazing attention to detail when it comes to the music. I mean, when we were at the Wedgwood Rooms, just watching them rehearse, it was what fascinated me most was when they were, they were uh, practicing There's a Melody. Mm-hmm. Kevin was almost obsessed with the hitting the T on note. Nope. nope. Yep. And uh, that was a recurring theme, I think. Yeah. It was, was it? <laughs> it? I suppose watching a, a band, you wouldn't think that that sort of level of detail would go into it. It's like, oh, you know the song, you go in and play it, like a jam session. So just... Yeah. And even songs that, you know, I would, uh, seeing night after night on that tour, you would hear the set one night and think, well, that was perfect like you can't pick anything out of that and say well but the following day in the sound check someone would raise well okay last night we did this and it maybe we could try it in a different way and or it wasn't quite right and I didn't it didn't quite feel you know this room is different it has different acoustics this is a different vibe so let's try it like this and seeing how they would adapt and create um was a real insight and for me like I, I'm a musician but I'm a drummer so I don't you know <laughs> what, what does that mean I don't well maybe it, it comes with experience I'm sure these guys are absolute consummate pros they've been doing it f- for years and years and um they know exactly what needs to be done to give the audience and to make them fulfilled as well to make sure that the song feels right on the night even if to my ear it was perfect the night before it's incredible to watch that do you see a development from the beginning to the end of the tour yeah i do yeah and and the set list uh, changes over time too so the songs will be introduced but what was a thrill actually was seeing at what point they were ready to introduce a new song into the set list because they would they would have been working on so they worked on um, looking for the light which is one of my well probably my favorite song from Stephen's latest album and they were rehearsing and rehearsing rehearsing that 
and it sounded immaculate every time but obviously there was something there that they wanted to continue developing and then one night Stephen just said let's put it in we got to do it it's ready let's do it I, I don't actually remember uh, the the city that we were in but they played it and it was like from side stage watching the beaming smiles as they finished the song was really <laughs> fulfilling even though I wasn't involved I actually um in terms of that song I'd been doing a sound check with them for another tune probably for Gravity which was a song I do with them and I just stayed up or I was trying to get some levels right and we we had these um in-ear monitors um and I was playing around with it and they started to play looking for the light and I just joined in just to get some levels right Craig turned around and said oh I felt that in my balls (laughs) 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 so the cajon whatever added an element to that song and literally from that comment Stephen was like yeah no I feel it too and we added from that point came on stage for looking for the light and that's how that kind of organically came around they realized that the cajon in that instance gave the song a different uh, dynamic that they wanted to capture so yeah. things like that kept happening throughout the tour you know songs would change and some songs would come out on a different night you know depending on either Stephen's voice or what they did or didn't feel like doing the cajon i suppose we should explain to listeners what that is because we know you sit on it and you whack it about it so how how does that work because it's answers on the postcard than it looks <laughs> i don't think it is really? it's um it's a latin percussion instrument it's peruvian um, I have no Peruvian heritage, as as may be obvious. <laughs> but I, uh, it's um, Sophie bought me in lieu of a drum kit when we started living in flats, you know, apartments where I couldn't have that because yeah. I would immediately fall out with everyone in the area. Um, bought was nice enough to buy me a cajon, and it's really it is a box, yeah. All, all sorts of jokes around. Oh, you know you've left a box of merchandise up on the stage someone needs to come and take that away <laughs> it's an instrument it has a snare on the uh, the front panel on the inside of the front panel so where I hit it quite low you get the bass note which sort of replicates a bass drum and then I hit the top of the panel and you get a snare sound a snappy higher pitched snare sound so you can you can begin to replicate a drum kit on it, obviously without any sort of cymbal noises. I do have an electronic cajon, which I'm quite keen to introduce at some point because you get all these, <laughs> there are sound effects on it. Some of them are naff. Um, <laughs> so I need to play, maybe if I play my cards right, you get some sort of DJ scratches and all sorts on the next Stephen Page tour, I don't know. Fantastic. <laughs> when, when might that be? Well, we're on the subject, do we know? Well, there's a Stephen Page tour uh, in the US in October. And it hits some cities that haven't been uh, involved in the last couple. So there's there are you go, uh, my this is where I really show myself up with US geography. But there's places like Texas and Memphis, and then it revisits a couple of spots in Ohio and and New York and so on, New York State. So there's that. I think in terms of the UK, they're probably looking a little further afield, and also being mindful that BNL are coming over in April. So yeah. beyond beyond that, I think when Stephen has new music out I think they will you know the UK will be one of the first places that he comes back to yeah because 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 when I spoke to Craig he said I mentioned the tour to him uh, from last year and he said oh we might do it right next time I said what do you mean it was great he said yeah but we didn't have anything to to push and I suppose because it was about a month before uh, the new album came out I think the album was delayed a little which was oh, um, really? so Steve yeah Stephen was able to play a couple of tracks from that because songs were released as singles or pre you know pre-order 
um, downloads or what have you. White noise. Yeah, white noise, looking for the light and so on. But And also, August, I think that's always across August, which is kind of a difficult time to do something because, in theory, the weather's nice and uh, people go on holidays and stuff. But it was a great tour. It was amazing. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. And um, But, yeah, I think next time, yeah, let's have the album out first. <laughs> I, I'm hoping because, again, talking to the guys in Odds, they were all like, yeah, hopefully we'll come next time. Perhaps they'll bring us along. I was like, yeah, please do. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> and Murray's got a lot of new tracks he's putting together as well. And I think they're working on an album themselves. Uh, I believe, I don't know how much I can say, but I believe it's almost done. Excellent. Mm. Last I saw about it was, oh, blimey, probably a year or so ago. That's something to look forward to. Well, I consulted Craig, knowing that I was speaking to you, oh, right. um, about tour stories. And he, because I have a really awful memory. I remember funny things that have happened, but I can often not remember the details of where we were or when. We did some reminiscing. There's a story about eggs. I maybe could tell you a story about eggs if you'd like to. Yeah, go on, crack on with the eggs. <laughs> crack on, oh, Ian, come on. Um, we we stayed in a hotel. This is the first UK tour, so that and I think the first time in a while that Craig and Kevin had been to the UK, just in any walk of life, touring professionally, personally. So we stayed in a hotel, uh, came down for breakfast and there was just a great spread cereals pastries and then a cooked breakfast section and so what Craig did which has remains an in-joke on the tour and so I, I, but I know I'm able to share it is he took some eggs that had been cooking and the way that the format of this hotel worked was that if you you go up and you put your eggs that are uncooked into the boiling water and they cook for you and then a couple of minutes later you go back and get them obviously that's how eggs work and so <laughs> Craig, Craig went along and saw these two love boiled eggs and just took them and didn't realize that they were somebody else's that had been that was sat at a table nearby and were going hey, this guy's taking my eggs so um took different eggs instead and put them on his plate and cracked them <laughs> and realized that afterwards that they were uncooked eggs so just <laughs> everywhere all over his plate <laughs> and then the funniest thing about it was we had the for the two uk tours that we've done we've had a guy called dino who's a glaswegian fella yeah. and a great laugh and a, you probably you may have met him actually did, yeah yeah he's really funny and a, and a good guy and he came down like bleary eyed or whatever and did the same thing, picked up two eggs, put them on his plate, came and sat down with the rest of us and just smashed these uncooked raw eggs all over his plate. Ah, oh, blah, fuck it. I can't repeat what he said, but he was just covered in egg, basically. So that was, um, and I think that was probably the, sec the second day of the UK tour. We're all just getting to know one another and we're all covered in egg. <laughs> so that's a story about eggs for you. I think on um on a personal level, something that happened to me in a place called Old Saybrook, which I'd never heard of before, oh, but yeah. a, a town over in the, uh, in the States. We did a gig. It was great. We had a, There was a couple of um, folks connected to the band and through BNL's sort of history that came along. So there was a, a guy called Dean Friedman um, yeah. that came along and BNL in their early days did a cover of one of his tunes called McDonald's Girl and it became like a fan favourite. Yeah, and, so on. Yeah. and he's... Um, they may well have done that on that 95 uh, show that you went yeah. to see, maybe. Yeah, probably was, yeah. <laughs> and he's, a, he's a really nice guy, and he came up and played a, a song with Stephen and then hung around afterwards. And another guy was hanging around, and um, I could tell he was someone because he looked the part. He was very rock and roll and, like, hanging around and being 
drinking a beer being all nice and that and he came up to me and he said oh, I just wanted to say I really liked your con playing tonight like I did, I enjoyed it it was cool you know keep up the good work kind of thing and I thought that was really nice and I was kind of midway through take, helping to take the stage down and getting the gear out and putting it in the van so I yeah. I was pleased with the compliment um, but preoccupied should we say yeah and then Craig came up to me afterwards. He's like, you know who that guy was that just came up to you? I said, no, he was nice, but no, like, who is that? And he said, it's a guy called Mickey Curry. And uh, he drums with a guy you might know called Brian Adams. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, wow, okay, so that compliment about my drumming just come from Brian Adams' drummer. Like, that's incredible. That's, that's It was a nice compliment anyway, but even more so now. That carries more depth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and right. so between, you know, between meeting Mickey Kerry and hanging out with uh, Pat from Odds, um, yeah. I've met Brian Adams, both of Brian Adams' uh, drummers now, which yeah. is yeah. really cool. That's amazing. Pat rubbed my head for luck. Good. I, they, I, we were just, I was just walking away from the venue and they were behind me and I just suddenly felt this hand on my head. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? Just in case, he said. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. 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 They're all so funny. I don't know what it is, but Doug particularly had me in fits. Such a funny bloke. No, that's it's lovely to hear, you know, there's so many good memories you must have. Well, six tours and beyond with everything else besides. Yeah. And I think something that links back what's the one one final thing really is linking back to that conversation we had about memorabilia and the stuff mm. that I've kept over the years is that we when we were gearing up to do one of the shows with odds which was a bigger show and required more assembly and equipment we were in toronto and stephen said i need to go to my storage space to pick up some stuff for this gig so we all went we traveled in the van and we get there and he opens up the shutter goes and then before me is like every single item of bare naked ladies merchandise and you know all of their cds all of their cassettes so i'm stood there gawping and Stephen's looking at me like, yeah, I thought you'd like this. Because <laughs> there's, you know, everything that I, so I collect anyway, but everything that I, he's just handing me stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh my cave. God. Yeah, it's his cave of, of goodies. And, and he, it, what was really nice actually was looking at him going through that stuff, reminiscing. Mm. So he's picking out, you know, cassettes from 1994 and demo tapes and so on and laughing about, you know, remembering recording it or bad cover art or whatever it might be. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really cool, you know, a bit surreal to see all of that place. I was like, this is Stephen's stash. This is all of his stuff, you know, and yeah. he's passing me a maybe you should drive cassette tape that never got released and stuff like that. So wow. in that in that moment, I'm remembering that I'm very, very grateful to be involved in the capacity that I am with that tour and, and be part of his band. But I also, I remain a big fan of what he does. That's why I'm there. I'm a big fan. And yeah. I just, in that moment was like, what has happened? This is crazy. Yeah. But that's one of the things I was going to ask you, I suppose, is did, would you have ever thought, because me just doing this in two years, I'd have never thought I'd have gone and met Craig or, mm-hmm. or any of these people. And they all know who I am now and stuff. And it's really cool. I wouldn't have thought that would ever happen. I only did this to keep my mind occupied to stop my, I had a horrible time of it a few years back and I needed to mm-hmm. keep my mind occupied so that's why it came about so did did you feel the same thing did you think yeah this is gonna this is where I will be in five years time ten years time well I never imagined it I never thought that, that at these gigs I'll often be doing the merchandise or be hanging around afterwards and whatever it is and 
some people come up and say, well, how, how did you get involved? And I'm not sure it's a story I can tell. Like, I don't know, really. Yeah. You'd have to ask Stephen. Stephen probably has a number of drummers or Cajon players that he could call upon. So I'm very, very grateful for whatever it is that he sees yeah. in me to do that. But, you know, if I wasn't there doing that and being on that side of things, then I'd be in the front row because yeah. what what he does is is brilliant. And I remain a big fan of it. The fact that I get to play music with him is blows my night after night I had a moment every single night like it would be easier I suppose after six tours and and that probably equates to over 90 maybe 100 shows now but every single night there was some moment usually at the end of Brian Wilson because I love that outro I love the way it builds and then it's the it's ready for the encore so you get to walk off and feel a bit rock and roll as you wave (laughs) goodbye to so usually in that moment I'm like this is this is the most mad thing and every tour that I do I come away from it and I think you know if I never get to do that again then I've got this to look back on it's it's amazing and the opportunities that he's given me I'm I'll be forever grateful for so there we have it my little chat with Liam McKinnon showrunner at getbarenaked.net and fourth member of the Stephen Page trio. And yes, I am aware of how silly that sounds, but if you've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know all the best trilogies come with far more parts than was originally intended. Bit like Hermaphrodite, really. If you haven't heard Bare Naked Ladies' output before, if you're not really aware of their work, or Stephen Page's solo recordings, and please go back and listen to them now, they're available at iTunes and Spotify and all your favourite music providers. Or you could just go and buy yourself a good old-fashioned CD, vinyl or tape or 8-track if you're that way inclined. There might be some out there. So go and have a listen and then go back to Liam's site, getbarenaked.net and then you can see all the information about the band, all their goings-on, or Stephen's coming gigs, or Bare Naked Ladies gigs. And there's a lovely community there of people that have similar interests that you can get involved with. You can follow Liam on Facebook at Get Bare Naked, and on Twitter is Stephen Page Fans and uh, Get Bare Naked as well. And also, obviously, now you also heard me and Liam mention Craig Northey, obviously. Uh, odds and kevin fox now craig and kevin are both they're the other members of uh, stephen page trio uh, but they obviously have other projects that they do um solo and otherwise and you can go to their websites as well kevin's website is kevinfox.ca and you can also go to cornergasfan.com and there's a post there I wrote a review of all Kevin's solo albums and they're just amazing. I can't recommend them enough. So please check those out. You can read my review there and we may bring him up again in future podcasts as well. And obviously you can go to the Odds website, which is oddsmusic.com. Now, Odds and Craig are going to get far more than their fair share of airtime on this podcast in the future, I'm sure. So we'll talk about them another day. But please do go and check out what they're up to. Kevin, Stephen, Bare Naked Ladies. Who else is it? Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jeff Healy and all the other ones we mentioned. Go and have a good old listen and a boogie. Why not? Maybe take up an instrument and learn all their tunes and start a, a tribute band. So you get going with that and let me know how you get on. Uh, by getting in contact at cornergasfan.com. 
So until the next episode, which will probably be next week with another very special guest, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you.